Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Here's what we'll be talking about today. Uh, Recently in a hearing on dietary guidelines, the plant-based foods industry, which is getting a lot of attention right now, they started calling for dairy to be eliminated as a food group. So we're going to get dairy industry reaction to that from Alan Burga with the National Milk Producers Federation. Also today, a closer look at the condition of this year's corn crop. We're going to talk with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. We'll talk markets, also talk about some uh, new high-tech imagery that they have, pictures that they can really analyze uh, the crop conditions, and um, we'll talk with Matt about that uh, the latest on that, where they looked and uh, what uh, those photos can tell us. And we're going to talk with Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We have the latest ag equipment sales numbers to go over. But right now, let's start things off checking the news with Todd Neely with DTN. Hi, Todd. How are you? Hi, Mike. Good morning. Well, we have a proposed rule change to the H-2A guest worker program. What do you know about it? Well, yeah, you know, yesterday uh, the Department of Labor issued a, a, a large rule. It's about 489 pages of a proposed rule uh, looking at a number of different changes to, uh, to the H-2A. As you know, um, in, in you know recent years we've seen a huge demand and a rising demand for farm labor under the H-2A program. Uh, there's about a 21% increase last year over 2017. Uh, and so it's a it's a continued problem for for farmers to find uh, to find labor. And so the rule that came out um, it's got a number of provisions. One of which is uh, they're setting a 30 day rule, which basically will give employers uh, to to provide employment to any what they call qualified eligible U.S. workers that apply for the job. Um, so this is like a it's like a 30 day uh, window uh, to give some of these uh, farms. Uh, the opportunity to hire people who aren't in the H-2A program. Uh, and then also it, it talks a little bit in the rule about staggering, uh, allowing farms to stagger the entry of H-2A workers into the country. As you know, um, in ag, when it comes to labor, you know, around harvest time, you got real, uh, real, current, real current concerns with flexibility and accommodating weather situations and, and all those things that we talk about when it comes to, to harvest and agriculture work and, uh, I guess this provision of this new rule uh, is is proposed to basically give a little bit more flexibility in, in uh, when they bring those workers into the country. Um, you know, and there's a number of other other things involved too. It's going to uh, call for the use of E-Verify, uh, you know, in, in applying for these H-2A applications. Um, and so there's a number of things. We're going to see what happens from here. And generally speaking, we're seeing uh, some pretty decent support from a couple farm groups. Uh, I think they're just glad to see this uh, this out there, and at least now they can provide public comment to it. It's a huge issue for agriculture, and this is the latest in what has been several attempts to try to get improvements into the H-2A program. So we'll see how far this one goes. Absolutely. You know, we've seen Congress uh, many times in recent years uh, make an attempt at fixing this program, 
Um, most recently, I believe the House had a had a bill, or House or Senate, or maybe both, had a bill that uh, hadn't been negotiated. You know, some changes made to this program negotiated, and then, of course, as we see, oftentimes uh, there were a number of amendments brought in uh, near the very final stages of, of getting those bills across the, the finish line, and so it essentially killed, uh, you know, any reform at the congressional level, and so. Uh, to see the Labor Department taking this uh, taking this issue itself and doing what it can, I think, is a good step. But, uh, you know, even those people who support this particular rule say that uh, the program in general needs a complete overhaul. Meanwhile, we are a step closer to learning details on how the next round of the market facilitation program payments are going to be made as the review, the official review of it, evidently is completed and the president has signed off on it. Yeah, I uh, went to AOMB, I believe, on Friday of last week. Um, you know, this has been over nearly two months in, in the making since the president since the president announced, uh, you know, his support for this program. Um, hopefully, this will this will uh, resolve itself, and we'll we'll hear the details and within the next week or two. Uh, I would suspect that once it's at this point, uh, it's made it through the review. It's just uh, it's just a formality at this point, and we're going to see uh, a lot more about this in the next week or two. Maybe uh, we'll soon get uh, those details we've been waiting for for a while now. Meanwhile, uh, we know the struggles in agriculture continue. You've been reporting on some of the financial situations of some pretty big names in the agribusiness world. Yeah, you know, Mike, we saw um, CHS Inc. yesterday reported in its latest third quarter financials a 70% drop in net income. Uh, That was for the third quarter from 2018 to 2019. Uh, but there was a little bit of good news in the report in that, um, you know, when comparing nine months of 2018 to the to their nine months of their 2019 fiscal years, uh, they've actually seen an increase in net income, and so that that's uh, that's a good that's a good piece of news. But uh, we're seeing the same from Cargill. They reported last week uh, they had seen a drop in fourth quarter earnings for 2019, a 41% drop. Um, of course, that's coming off of a record quarter that they had. Uh, leading into that that latest report but yeah we continue to see a lot of strain as you know uh, we're going to hear a lot more in, in the coming weeks uh, between now and the middle to the end of august we've got a number of companies large ag companies um, reporting their finances as well so it'll be interesting to see what they what they have to say yeah, I was going to say, we're going to be watching this closely as, as these reports come in and we've talked about the struggles in the biofuels industry um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of pain out there and a lot of concern. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and I think, uh, as you said, in biofuels, I think as we continue to wait more from EPA on small refinery waivers, um, I think there are a lot of ethanol companies out there right now uh, looking for a bit of good news. We've seen margins have really been struggling uh, for quite some time the past year or so. Um, and so, yeah, it's every aspect of agriculture. No, Nobody goes uh, untouched at this point. And it's a ripple effect, and sometimes it takes a while to wait, to go all the way through the chain, but eventually it does. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, if we can hear some good news from China trade and those sort of things, too, I think, um, you know, at least changing that outlook and having a positive outlook going forward would, would go quite a ways. Yep, we need some good news for sure. All right, Todd, thanks. Always good to talk with you. All right, thank you, Mike. DTN reporter Todd Neely. So up next, uh, this recent hearing on dietary guidelines, uh, the plant-based 
food industry getting a lot of attention now and uh, at that hearing uh, they were speaking out about uh, eliminating dairy as a food group we're going to get dairy industry reaction to that call uh, coming up next alan burga with the national milk producers federation will join us and we'll get the dairy industry's response uh, to some of those claims and some of those calls that's coming up next stay with us here on aoa adams on agriculture Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we have talked before about the potential benefits of gene editing in livestock production, but there is a, a battle going on about oversight of that technology. Should it be with FDA where it's at, or should it be moved to USDA, like many in the livestock industry, like the National Pork Producers Council would like to see? Let's talk about it with Dr. Dan Kovich, who is Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. Dan, thanks for joining us again. Why do you feel it's best to have the oversight with USDA? What we're concerned about is what is actually getting approved. Is it the edit or this altered genome, and how does that affect how the descendants of these animals are going to be regulated on farms and ranches. That's where we feel that that post-approval piece, that the USDA has the expertise and, more importantly, the existing authority to regulate the descendants of gene-edited animals. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So recently at um, a hearing on dietary guidelines, we heard quite a bit from the emerging plant-based foods industry. And one of the comments we heard from uh, someone with a coalition for healthy school food, a New York group that promotes plant-based foods, uh, they called for the removal of dairy as a food group. Let's get some reaction to that from the dairy industry now. Alan Burga with the National Milk Producers Federation joins us. Alan, what do you think of that comment? Well, you don't uh, go out and, and start thinking that folks are going to be removing dairy as a food group anytime soon. But you also have to be mindful of the voices where this is coming from and, and understanding the importance of responding to these voices when you're dealing with the dietary guidelines. You know, the, the dietary guidelines for Americans is... is revamped every five years. Um, It often is a reflection of of the debates of its time. I I think if you want to take a look at nutrition history, you could go back every five years and look at comments and see what the trends are. Uh, One thing that has been solid throughout the history of the dietary guidelines has been um, the acknowledgement of dairy as an essential part of diets and, and as a source of nutrients. Um, that really is not duplicated by other forms of of protein or nutrition. That said, uh, this time around, uh, there are certainly some advocates. I think they're small in number, but they are quite vocal, who really have dairy in their sights. Uh, The idea that that this is something that perhaps can be downplayed a bit in the diet, um, something, of course, that would be then to the benefit of the foods that they tout. And it's something that you have to be watching going forward. I, I don't think the dairy industry is in any sort of a panic over what remains pretty fringe commentary, but you have to know what's out there, and you have to take this process seriously to always restate the benefits that dairy has. You know, I, I know a lot of people say, I don't pay any attention to those or not much attention to those guidelines anyway. I eat what I want to eat. But we know those guidelines do influence some people, and certainly in in decisions being made for school lunch programs and things like that. So you do have to, you know, look at this, take it seriously. Well, exactly. Um, you know, the dietary guidelines, they don't force anybody to eat anything in, in one sense, but in another sense, it's incredibly important. Um, the dietary guidelines form the basis for federal food programs, and, and given the number of children who are eating school meals, this is very important for the nutrition and health of the next generation, as well as the eating habits of the next generation. Um, you know, dairy has been something that has been a mainstay of diets we've seen in the last few years how you know when when low certain low fat options were taken from menus under guidelines you saw how milk consumption went down Um, dairy is healthy dairy is a a source of nutrients for people Uh, if you don't expose it to people young and and a lot of that exposure comes through federal programs you're really shaping eating habits for life And, and that's why it's important even if some people don't really pay much attention to it, even if you're not paying attention, it's still affecting what people are eating, and, and that's, of course, of crucial, crucial concern for public health. But you don't think there's any serious move to eliminate dairy as a food group at this point, do you? 
eliminating dairy as a food group would be a very, very long-term goal um, for the plant-based movement, and and not likely one that would be attainable this time around. But you know, in Washington, there's a saying about you know legislation that gets introduced but maybe won't pass that particular year. It's it's called aspirational. Um, these are goals that are worked on over long periods of time, and they're done by affecting public opinion um, by you know getting studies that that go in your favor, making people feel that you know this is just the logical next thing to do. Those are battles that are waged over the long haul, and, 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 and you're thinking in terms of years and decades. That's why you have to take arguments like these seriously from, from the plant-based folks, because they know they're in this for the long haul, and what they're trying to do is influence perception, public opinion. So maybe not in 2020, but perhaps 2025, 2030, you might see some changes that, that don't seem so unreasonable because you've spent literally an entire generation of convincing people that this is the way it should be. That's why it's important for folks who are backers of dairy to, to be following this process. Um, when public comments are available to make comments, let people know that dairy needs to be continuing as a food group, um, that these recommended three servings a day are what should be the recommendation for nutrition, um, and stand up. This is not something that is necessarily the immediate threat to the industry, but you have to be watching this because, again, these play out over years, half decades, decades. And once you start seeing these moves, it's important to counteract. We're talking with Alan Bjerga with the National Milk Producers Federation. Dairy, uh, Alan, how do you, how does the dairy industry view this uh, emerging plant-based food industry? Well, you know, I'm a, I speak for the, the National Milk Producers Federation, which is dairy cooperatives and farmers. The dairy industry is a much larger entity than that. But I think uh, when you see with plant-based is, first of all, we don't have any opposition to the idea of plant-based foods or diets that are heavy in plant-based foods. So certainly there is a lot of nutrition from a lot of products. You know, U.S. farmers grow these products as well, and we support agriculture. What we do take issue with is mischaracterization and, and misinformation, which is very much something that, that is then done not to really give people nutrition or give them proper information, but really is about market share in dollars and cents. You know, that's what you see with the dairy labeling debate. Um, when you see uh, the, the plant-based industry saying that beverages that have nothing to do with the nutritional package that dairy has, trying to pass themselves off as, as, as legitimate substitutes for dairy products. You know, in that issue, you see the plant-based sector really become a, a, a group that is not working for the public health, but really for a commercial interest. And when you're standing up for proper nutrition for Americans, especially nutrition for children, you have to be able to keep the, the debate fact-based, regardless of what plant-based may have to say. Meanwhile, I wanted to touch on this as well while we have you with us. Um... We know sign up, of course, for the dairy margin coverage program began back on June 17th. And we know now that FSA has started issuing payments to producers who have purchased coverage, right? Yes, and, and frankly, we are very we're very pleased with the pace of sign-up that that's been happening for this program. You know, about 10 days in, uh, FSA said that there were about 5,000 dairies that were signed up for this program. We thought, you know, that's a good pace. That's, that's about one out of every eight dairies in the United States. Um, but frankly, we expected the pace to slow down a little bit just because there's always that initial rush, and then there's people who sort of wait on the sidelines for more information before you have another rush at the end. But we found that in roughly the next 10 days, 
another 5,000 dairy operations signed up. So the pace of signups has been steady and strong. We really feel that at this pace, you're going to see certainly sign-up levels succeed that for the margin protection program, as well they should. This is a better program. Um, and really seeing that, you know, with, with the, the payment pl- that the USDA is now offering, um, which is in line with the promises they made last February, we certainly commend the USDA for that, um, you're seeing farmers getting tangible help. Um, it's been a tough five years for dairy. Uh, we're seeing this assistance go out to farmers when they need it. Uh, it's really been a case where we're seeing implementation. Of course, there are always concerns. There are always hiccups. There are always problems with some of the details. But all in all, it seems like it's a robust sign-up. It seems like it's a successful sign-up. And we're just thrilled to see some, some relief come into farm country. So sign up around 10,000 now. Producers can enroll through September 20th. It'll be interesting to see in this uh, in these final weeks of the sign up uh, if uh, those numbers stay strong like that. Yeah, and and if farmers have questions about some of the rules for signups, you can always email us at info at nmpf.org. Also, we have resources on our website. If you just go to www.nmpf.org, you'll see a big red box right on the home page. And if you click on that, it takes us it takes you right to our dairy margin coverage program resources. Um, certainly available to help answer answer questions and and help farmers as they take this step. Because there are some decisions to be made. Um, they choose what uh, coverage levels they want to take. You know, I, I got to say, you don't want to tell any farmer how to run their operation, but the 950 coverage level for your first 5 million pounds under DMC is being taken by the overwhelming number of farmers. And when you take a look at the dollars and cents of, of the months for payments that we already know what the history will be, January through April, a 950 seems to be a no-brainer. I think a big question producers are asking right now is, do I lock in my coverage at 950 for the next five years and get a 25% discount on my premiums, or do I go year to year? You know, Do I tailor it based on what prices are going to be? I think those are questions that are being answered at FSA offices right now. We certainly have some charts and some scenarios available that can you know, give farmers dollars and cents on that. But, you know, the 950 coverage seems to be incredibly popular. A big question is whether you lock in for five years or not. All right. Alan, good to talk to you. Thanks for the information. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Have a good day. Take care. Alan Burga with the National Milk Producers Federation. All right. Up next, Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. We're not just going to talk markets, but we are going to talk markets, but also learn about uh, their U.S. corn crop project, um, some really interesting images, some photography that the technology allows us to get a really close look at a wide area of the corn crop. We're going to find out how that has worked and what are some of the results that they're seeing. That's coming up next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, despite uh, the E15 announcement uh, about a month ago, uh, we're really here at a, at a crossroads, it seems like. I'm going to talk about it with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for being with us. Uh, it seems like the administration has been trying to walk down the middle and try to keep both sides happy, but we're coming to a point where they're going to have to make a decision one way or another which way they're going to go, aren't they? The simplest way to explain that, Mike, is we expect about 50 million gallons of new ethanol demand to result from the E15 year-round approval. That's the output of about one small ethanol plant uh, annually. 
On the other hand, the demand we've lost through small refiner exemptions is something greater than 2 billion gallons of ethanol. 2 billion gallons is, is roughly equivalent to the output of about 20 large ethanol plants. So it's not a, not a fair trade here uh, when we talk about E15 for small refiner exemptions. Join us on Adams on Agriculture. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Even though yesterday's crop condition report made it appear that corn and soybean crops were doing better than expected weather-wise, the improvement may only be temporary given current weather, something many traders said to be betting on. USDA said 58% of the corn crop was in good or excellent shape as of Sunday, 54% of the soybean crop both up a point from the prior week. November soybeans moved to a lower close yesterday, marking out new resistance at 936.5. That selling action could be marking out the right shoulder of a potential head and shoulders top formation. On the daily chart, November soybeans an hour into the day down eight and three quarters at 911 and a quarter. December corn erased intraday gains on Monday, tumbling to a sharply lower close. December, an hour in on Tuesday, down six and a quarter at 440 and three quarters of a cent. We broke through support at the 20-day moving average of 447 and a half. In the wheats, Chicago December steady at 520. Kansas City wheat a fraction higher. Minneapolis spring wheat, September a penny lower, trading at 531 and a quarter. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, we're 50 to 65 cents lower. August at $108 per hundred weights, down 50 cents. Feeder cattle, August contract at 141.50, down 15. Cash cattle activity so far untested on the week. In lean hog futures, the August contract is down 25 at 79.85, but the back months are 35 to 62 cents higher. The Dow is 11 points higher. NASDAQ down 4, S&P down 1. August crude oil in New York up 24 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538. Immediately, that's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Happy to have with us Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Matt, as I know you are finding as you go through life and you hit these milestones and big events and you've been going through some with your family, 
but there, there are little reminders that you're 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 getting a little older. And of course, today we're marking the observance of uh, uh, the moon landing uh, 50 years ago. And my grandson, who's about to turn nine, is just fascinated with space and space travel and things like this. You should have you I, the picture. I wish I'd have taken it. The look on his face of astonishment when he found out that his grandpa was actually alive when that when that happened. He just he says he just looked at me and said, "You were alive when that happened." He couldn't believe it. So that one of those moments that kind of ages you somewhat. Yeah, I reckon so. I wasn't quite alive then, so I, I guess I'm just a young pup then, Mike. Yeah, point that out. Yeah, go ahead. But you've had a few <laughs> things recently that remind you you're starting to head that direction, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we just uh, we our first daughter uh, got married on Friday evening this past week, and uh, you know she graduated college here this last spring and uh, uh, graduated after just three years, and uh, she's on the fast track uh, in several different ways. So. Uh, I'm not going to be getting called Grandpa anytime soon, uh, but uh, at least I don't think so. So, uh, but yeah, we're we're pretty excited about uh, about gaining a new member to the family. So uh, definitely yeah. a big milestone, though. I felt a little bit older whenever she told me that's what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations. Yeah, time time goes fast. That's for sure. Definitely. Well, let's let's talk about this corn crop and an announcement from AgMarket.net. Uh, you have a U.S. corn crop project uh, to give a give us a better idea of the condition of this corn crop, and we're kind of all struggling to get our hands around this and our heads around uh, just what we have out there. Tell us a little bit about this project and some of the results. Right, and so you know, basically, the four of us with AgMarket.net, Bill Biederman, Brian Split, Jim McCormick, and myself, we were just uh, six, seven months into our our new company, and uh, we were sitting around here in the last month or so trying to get a really good handle on uh, just what we're looking at, because um, so many of our customers had said, you know, it's we've got a train wreck here, and whenever you hear about uh, you know 150 different train wrecks, you decide uh, we need to get a little bit better grasp on this, and so the idea was is to get in the air and to go uh, on a completely uh, unbiased random uh, 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 flight path and so we ran essentially around four four north to south flight paths through each state uh, Illinois Iowa Missouri Indiana and Ohio uh, you know and, and we want to get an idea of you know just what are we looking at and so uh, what we saw was a lot more a uh, lot more dirt than what we wanted to see uh, and we decided, you know, the best way for us to bring a, a you know, a, a report like this is to be able to show people exactly what we were looking at and how we evaluated the crop. And so essentially, uh, you know, we came down on a planted and harvested acreage uh, first and foremost. And then, uh, of course, we ended up assigning a yield, which uh, was done with the help from, uh, uh, you know, uh, University of Illinois, uh, Dr. Emerson Navsiger, and then uh, Dr. Nielsen from Purdue University. We uh, we worked also with Dr. Irwin and uh, Dr. Guan at the at the University of Illinois. So we had a lot of collaboration uh, through John Stewart, AgMarket.net, and then some of the academics that we leaned on pretty heavily. So the equipment you used, I believe, provided by AirScout.com, that's yeah. now sophisticated enough that it allows you to actually count stocks and populations to determine yield potential, right? 
Yes, and so essentially what uh, each individual photo that they took, uh, which they went every 25 miles on each one of these passes, uh, going every 25 miles gave us a look at around 160,000 acres uh, uh, shade under that. And so uh, it, every, every uh, photo that they took, they had a high-resolution photo to where we could zoom in and, uh, you know, you could uh, – you could uh, use uh, basically technology, uh, you know, to figure out this is how many feet we're looking at and then count stalks to see uh, what kind of population you're looking at. It's really amazing, which, you know, of course, they weren't flying too terribly high and using the high-resolution uh, uh, lens. They were able to hone in. I mean, you, you could see uh, if one of us was standing out in the field, you could tell what kind of a ball cap we were wearing. So it's a pretty darn good uh, deal. And so the nice thing is, is whenever you go on uh, our website and you look at this uh, and you click to, to view the interactive photos, basically what you're going to do is you're going to uh, be able to click on any bubble throughout the, all of these different uh, routes that we took and be able to do the same type of thing that we did. And you can kind of gauge for yourself and see why uh, we were so concerned. Yeah, you can go to www.agmarket.net and check this out. So what kind of numbers did you come up with? Yeah, and so essentially uh, after looking at this, we, we all uh, were using the same methodology to, uh, you know, to uh, – basically categorize what we were looking at and we ended up coming up with a about 156 bushel yield now this is i want to stress given ideal weather and so i mean i don't want to sound overly overly um you know leaning one way or the other bullish you, you can call it what you want what what we all agreed is that everyone working on this project was that uh conditions were worse than what we thought that they were uh, first of all, like I said before, there's a lot of bare dirt. Second of all, uh, we didn't see a lot of good, real, uh, uh, a large percentage of really good, dark, healthy, uh, dark green, healthy looking corn. And so, you know, we had to categorize some of this uh, denitrification that we saw, uh, you know, poor stands. Uh, you know, and, and, and so the 156 would be considering no early frost. Uh, first of all, and second of all, uh, uh, what we would call ideal weather. And so we think that this crop could be smaller than this uh, uh, easily. Uh, but at this stage of the game, that's the number we're throwing out if we uh, are blessed with good weather here throughout the end of the growing season. That's a big if, right? It is a big if. And then, you know, your harvested acreage uh, come down to 79.6. And so, you know, obviously that's less than what the USDA is talking we feel like we're looking at a shade under 90% uh, as far as your harvested percentage. Uh, typically, the USDA uses uh, a 92%, but uh, you see years that were below uh, this 89.46 that we're using, uh, like a 1993-type year. Uh, we don't think that we're quite that low on harvested acreage, but I think whenever you get up on top of this and you see uh, just how much of this is not going to be able to be harvested, you'll see, especially in your river bottom areas, that uh, uh, we're going to have to use a lower percentage of harvested acres than what we typically do. So as more information like this starts coming in, how do you see markets reacting to that? Yeah, that's a good question. Obviously, this week we're trading a whole lot of weather. Uh, you know, uh, we've got uh, some rain coming through Iowa today. Uh, this rain system uh, from Barrie is coming up into Illinois. sure hasn't materialized just yet. Very disappointing. I didn't even have enough rain in my gauge to measure it. But, uh, you know, we're, we're trading a little bit of weather right now or so. 
essentially, I feel like the trade still feels like uh, that that this corn crop has the structure of a crop in place that enough rainfall will make it good. And I guess I've argued all along, and you've heard me say this, that whenever you damage a corn plant early in the growing season, it's really hard to get it, uh, you know, resuscitated, if you will. And so a typical weather market that we've seen in the last three or four years has been a dry weather pattern uh, coming into the summer, and then we start getting rainfall. Uh, And any producer that you talk to would love to see somewhat of a dry spring where they can get a full stand. Uh, give the crop a fighting chance. And unfortunately, we just didn't do that this year. And a lot of this corn, in my opinion, has been hurt uh, more uh, early on than what the, the trade's given it credit for. So it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to really get a good grasp on this. We'll get some FSA acreage in August. Uh, we won't get probably a really good handle on exactly what those uh, prevent plant acres are until maybe September into October. And I think once you get into October and some combines have rolled, I think you'll understand maybe uh, how small this crop can be. But until then, I think you're going to see some back-and-forth action. And meanwhile, on beans, is it even a bigger guess at this point what they're going to do? Yeah, I mean, beans is definitely a crapshoot. You know, when just obviously we were focused on corn with this project, but of course we saw a lot of bean fields too uh, that we could uh, get a pretty good look at and, and, you know, you talk to most producers in the U.S. and they'll tell you, you know what, uh, Omron bean crop doesn't look all that great. Now, uh, obviously, beans don't like wet feet. Most people uh, are well aware of that. And, and and the thing is about this bean crop, it was put in so late. You know, we had, you know, over 60% of the crop not flowering as of this week. And so um, that's not a good situation. Uh, any of your universities uh, will tell you after the last few years that if you can get that bean crop flowering, at the longest sunlight date there in late June, uh, then you've got a chance to have significantly improved bean yields. And that's not what we've had. I mean, we've really taken the ball out of the hands of the bean crop, too. Now, what's that going to translate to, you know, as far as uh, final yield goes? I think that uh, the USDA taking a bushel off last week was a step in the right direction. Uh, But I think that they're going to have to take another step or two there. I don't know the how well these new genetics can handle this type of a growing season it remains to be seen but i I sure don't feel like my bean crop's going to be anything close to what i've seen the last three years Uh, you know we've had phenomenal bean crops so we've gotten a little bit spoiled i don't think we can expect some of these uh, 75 to 85 bushel yields like we've seen the last couple years all right matt good to talk with you and we encourage people to check out uh, your u.s corn crop project at www.agmarket.net thanks matt yep absolutely thanks mike take care matt bennett with agmarket.net up next we'll talk with kurt blade senior vice president ag services with the association of equipment manufacturers we'll take a look at the latest ag equipment sales numbers that's next here on aoa Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612, 800-664-2612. 
Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after Dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, each month we get the latest ag equipment sales numbers from Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, thanks for joining us. Uh, what's the uh, what's the headline from this month's report? Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. The headline for the June report as we look at this being halfway through the year is, for the year we're looking pretty good for, uh, for equipment sales, but for the month of June we saw some... Uh, we saw some declines compared to where we were this time last year, and I think that's a pretty good indication of these storm clouds we've been talking about for the last few months, that uh, a little bit of pain out there in farm country, and we recognize it, whether it's weather-related or, or uncertainties around trade. Is that, uh, I think there's some, there's some real hesitation for, uh, for farmers to, uh, to really make that final purchase decision on their, on their equipment in, uh, in the month of June. We have been saying repeatedly, uh, pleasantly surprised, pleasantly surprised each month as the numbers came in, but kind of thought this might be coming at some point. Absolutely. I, again, I think the, the numbers that we see in June, we saw, you know, like in, as an example, we saw about a 3% uh, reduction in two-wheel drive tractors and a, about 15% uh, reduction in the sales of, uh, of four-wheel drive tractors. Those are things that we sort of expected for uh, for some time, as we've been talking about, just because of those that uncertainty that's out there, uh, but there are also some bright spots out there. So again, if you look at this, you know we're still well above the uh, the five year average, and we're also uh, you know for the year we're we're uh, we're trending above uh, above last year for overall sales of uh, of of, a, of tractors and combines. So there's some there's some positive in, uh, news in there, but it's still sort of that that cautious optimism that we continue to talk about. All in all, the industry seems to have so far weathered the storm pretty well, considering all the different issues we've talked about, whether it's the trade issues or certainly the weather, the the, the depressed prices. Uh, as we look back over the last several months, uh, you know, it's just it makes it tough for some to uh, make a decision on buying a a, a piece of equipment right now. You you bet. I, I understand that completely, and I'll tell you, nothing is more frustrating to a farmer than not being able to get their crop into the field and you know here we are in july and 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 still talking about that where you know things are you know months 
two months late. So that's uh, so that's kind of sad, and uh, but that also affects the psyche just a little bit. But the flip side of it is, you know, a couple of couple of good days here and there can turn it into a nice crop, and and uh, you know nothing nothing pleases a farmer more than to look out onto the field and see a see a good growing crop. And I'll tell you, as I drive through the Midwest, there's some good looking crops out uh, out there that did actually get into the field, and the weather's starting to cooperate a little bit. You know that is a point, and we, in fact, on our last segment, we were talking about how rough it looks in a lot of places, and we know that's the case. But there are some good-looking crops out there, uh, as you said, that caught a break here or there as far as when they were got planted and the weather since then. Uh, but still, overall, it, it looks to be uh, you know 2019 is just going to be a historic year and not in a good way in, in for many reasons, and it looks like those challenges are going to continue for a while. That is uh, that is absolutely the case. I mean, again, it's 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 July right now. We're setting July 16, and and you know there's still there's still six months in the year, and we don't know what harvest is going to look like necessarily. But as we talk to our uh, we talk to our manufacturers, they remain optimistic that uh, you know they're going to be selling some selling some equipment and some of the new equipment that's going to be uh, our used equipment is also going to be finding new homes as well. You know, the, some of the things that come into play here, weather events really point to the need to uh, to really take a critical eva- uh, evaluation of your adoption of technology and a critical evaluation of your of your efficiency. And I think you can see some of the same videos online that I've seen of tractors being stuck in the mud uh, that, uh, you know, kind of say, you know what, maybe it's time for me to, to reevaluate my equipment and do I need to up the horsepower or change the change my tire configuration or when it comes to harvest time, do I need to look for something that's just a little bit more efficient way for me to get those uh, get that corn soybeans out of the out of the field in timely matters? I think those are the conversations that are happening right now. You couple that with some of the pretty neat innovations that are happening on precision farming front, as well as the efficiencies that are happening in the in the engines. Boy, it's a it's a pretty fun time to be looking at new equipment as your uh, as your listeners are uh, hitting field days right now and hitting the farm show season. Uh, the outdoor farm show season this fall, I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised with some of this cool technology that could really make a difference in their farming operations. Kurt, how has the industry dealt with, uh, adapted to these challenges and what's going on in agriculture right now? Well, I'll tell you, our members are telling us that it's just tough. It's tough, obviously. We want to have our uh, heart goes out to the farmers that are struggling uh, with with uh, with weather or other issues, so that's so that's number one. But also, you know, many of these companies are, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're businesses themselves that are having to predict what the sales are going to look like six months from now or twelve months from now, and and planning the production schedules and the employment schedules uh, in those small communities to to deal with that. And I think what we hear to a to a member is it's really been tough to forecast what the future looks like right now. And that's what we, you know, as we've been talking, Mike, for the last six months or so, we talk about these storm clouds. These storm clouds really point to that uncertainty, and that uncertainty does make it difficult for our, for our manufacturers to plan ahead for what that inventory is going to look like, for what those production schedules are going to look like, uh, because you don't know for sure whether, uh, you know, whether we're going to have a good crop and what those, uh, what those prices are going to be when we do have that crop that's harvested. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, when you're when agriculture going through the struggles it's going through right now, it's a ripple effect, and you can feel it uh, throughout the chain. And uh, uh, the equipment industry certainly part of that. And uh, Kurt, we'll talk again next month. Hopefully, we'll see uh, an uptick in those numbers. But uh, 
and maybe we'll get some uh, improvements in some of these fronts we've been talking about that we need again something i keep saying we need some good news hopefully we'll get it soon thanks for the update thanks so much mike talk to you next month all right, Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. That's going to do it for today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll get another update on wheat harvest in Kansas. We're going to talk about efforts and challenges getting broadband available all across rural America. And, of course, we'll talk much more about uh, these markets. So all that coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. AOA.